More praise this morning. Amen. I'm excited to be here with you today. Hope that every one of you had a great Thanksgiving time with friends and family. And uh, how many of you would, would confess your sins with me and say that you ate too much on Thursday? Probably continued through the weekend. I don't know about you. I, I love the family time, just the kids and, and everybody just together. Uh, we always, it's, it's me and Dewey here at the, in, in the area and our families. And so we always switch back and forth. We do Thanksgiving at, at my house and we do Christmas at Dewey's house. And so it's just a blast to see the little boys growing up and Drew and Abby, to come, Drew come from Jonesboro and to be with us. But I'll tell you, as far as the food, I love the, the leftovers. I'm telling you, for the next two or three days, it's just kind of like, where'd those Sister Schubert rolls go? Where'd that ham? Let me, <laughs> let me, let me, let me whoop up something here. We, we've had a blast and we pray you have too. I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, I ended the service, the nine o'clock service with this, but I want to tell you from the front end because I think we have something to rejoice over today. Last Sunday, we exceeded all records. We broke anything we've ever tried to do before in the past. Last year, uh, I think our miracle offering was in excess of about $17,000, and this year it's right at $24,000, so give yourselves a hand. So once a year, we do what we call a miracle offering, and we do our outreach for the year out of that. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we gave away 100 turkeys to families, and we had people leave the building with tears in their eyes thanking you. Thank you, Victory Church, for your generosity, because if you hadn't done that, a number of people in our community wouldn't have been able to have had Thanksgiving dinners. And so you, you blessed a lot of folks. Uh, we're excited. We already have the coats. They've been ordered from Walmart and have already come in. We're going to be giving away 250 Brand new warm winter coats to preschoolers, kindergartners, first through sixth grade, I think is where we cut it off in terms of our sizes that we've ordered. Um, it's a first come, first serve basis on December the 8th. That is another one of our blessings that we do out of that miracle offering. And I think, and I'm just guessing now, so don't hold me to this, but I'm thinking it's between five and $6,000 that we just paid out for those 250 coats. Uh, and, and I don't say this in any kind of a begrudging way, but Walmart does not give us a penny discount, even though we're ordering 250 of them. You would think that um, with an order that size that they could give us a little break, but we have to pay the same price that if you walked in there this afternoon and bought one off the rack and paid for it. Well, that's how we've bought these 250. So your generosity has helped us. The Lord will see that, and he will bless that, and he will reward that. Uh, the scripture says that he that gives to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay them all. You know, God's not going to let you be indebted. He's going to bless you because you're thinking about the poor in this community. We're going to up, up the ante and up the bar uh, with a couple of more outreaches in 2013. We're very, very excited about that. We, we, we try to bless every sector of our population. We gave, I think, 160 new box fans away to the elderly last July. And so we're trying to think of keeping kids warm in the winter, keeping the older saints cool in the summer when some of them don't have enough money to heat their, or rather cool their homes and some of them, you know, dying from heat exhaustion and all of that. And so a number of these things, we're hoping to kind of raise the bar and give away a few more of those because people every year are always in need of that. And you know, it's never, it never ceases to amaze me. Your, 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 your system can run fine. Your air conditioner unit in the window can run fine until it hits the hottest day of the year, and that's when it goes kerplunk, and you're looking at four days before somebody can come fix it. 
And so there's always somebody who has needs like that. I want to say thank you again from the bottom of my heart for your generosity. This morning, um, been meditating about this message for in the Word for several weeks because this is an opportunity that I don't uh, get a lot of, and that is we normally roll right out of a series that we finished with like the, the not a book, not a fan, not a book. Listen to me, <laughs> the not a fan book series that we did, and uh, and then we hit Thanksgiving, and then we're right into Advent. Advent we observe here because it is about preparing for the coming of Christ. Uh, the Advent speaks of his coming. The old, whole Old Testament is talking about the hope of one who is to come. And so here at Victory, we observe that because I believe it helps us refocus away from the extreme commercialization of the Christmas holiday and to really think about the one who came 2,000 years ago and the longing that we have in our hearts to see him come again in his second coming. So Advent is not only taking us back in the preparation for when he first came, but it's also preparing our hearts for his coming again. Uh, Next Sunday, we'll be talking about, uh, there's a new series beginning called Promise, and we'll be talking about the hope of promise, the hope of a Messiah that's to come. Of course, we know he came 2,000 years ago. Uh, This morning, with that opportunity, this is the first Thanksgiving message that I've preached in probably seven or eight years because of the way the calendar fell. As you know, Fourth Sunday, I mean, sorry, fourth Thursday in November is Thanksgiving. Well, we have five of them this year, and so it's bumped the weekends back so that Advent doesn't start actually until the 2nd of December. And let me, by the way, just give you a heads up. We're going to have a great Christmas Eve service here at 530. The the house is always packed because it combines our two services, 9 and 1045, on Sunday morning, and we always have wall-to-wall. It's about a 45-minute service where we sing some Christmas carols, light candles, sing by candlelight, and we receive Holy Communion together. And there's no preaching, but no offering. So it's a great opportunity to invite some friends from the community. And the the families that are bringing guests in always bring them. It's a wall-to-wall beautiful experience together. We want to invite you out now and come early and get a seat because 530 uh, Tuesday, December 24th, this place will be wall-to-wall. And so we hope to see you then. Uh, This morning, this message is called The Impact of an Attitude of Gratitude. The Impact of an Attitude of Gratitude. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me just one more time. We have two verses of Scripture to read. It's from the New Testament book of Colossians. Those of you that are Purple Book folks with me, this is one of your memory verses, and you will recognize this. These two verses from Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 are one that we commit to memory when you get in the purple book to get grounded in your foundation and your walk with the Lord. Let's read together. Here we go. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Notice the last phrase. Say those last three words with me, please. Abounding in thanksgiving. Bow your heads with me, please, for a word of prayer. Gracious God, we just acknowledge your presence today. Thank you that you are God above all gods. Thank you for the amazing gift that you have given to us in Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, the God-man, Emmanuel, God with us, lived a perfect and sinless and impeccable life before us and became the sacrifice, the Lamb of God, which took away the sins of the world. We stand in the confidence of that gospel message this morning. Not on our own merit. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. 
But thank you that he who knew no sin was made to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. It's on that confidential stand that we pray today and we preach and we worship you. It's because of what you've done, Jesus, and not anything that we could ever do. And I just acknowledge before you and this people that I can't do anything apart from you. Holy Spirit, come and do what only you can do. Teach, lead, speak, convict, prod, comfort, provide. Encounter this people, Lord, with your holy presence, I pray today. And it is in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said. You may be seated this morning in the presence of the Lord. For our guests this morning, my name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Victory, and it is a pleasure to have you with us. We wish every one of you happy Thanksgiving in this great season as we prepare our hearts for Advent. Today, our focus is on this season in which we're in right now, this weekend, from Thursday up until today. And that is the importance of gratitude, having an attitude of gratitude and the impact that it has on my life and yours. This verse of scripture says that we are to be abounding in thanksgiving. The word abound literally means it is the visual image of the cornucopia of blessings, bountiful blessings poured out upon us at the close of a season of harvest as we celebrate in November. My time in the word has been especially blessed. It's been a season where it's almost like it's come alive again. And, and you, you may wonder why I would say it that way. Um, having been walking with the Lord seriously since I was 18 and seeking God, I've gone through seasons in my spiritual journey. And let's, let me tell you, if you're new to this and you feel like the fervor that you may have had in a time past might be maybe lagging a little bit, don't unless you are actively involved in a sin of some kind that you know you shouldn't be, then I, I wouldn't question, but I would just press in to seek the Lord because there are ebbs and flows to our walk. There are seasons in our lives in the same way that we are, we are wrapping up fall. All of the leaves almost have fallen off of the two big oak trees in my front yard. And it takes a pretty stout wind to blow through and get some of those that are remaining there. And Fall is one of my favorite times of the year because it just brings out these amazing colors of brilliant yellows and golds and red and orange in these trees and that become brown set against this azure blue sky filled with wispy clouds and I sit on my patio when it's not too cool and I look up and I read God's word and, and I see where it says it is a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord and sing praise to his name, Psalm 92 verse 1. And I think about all of the blessings that God has done for me during the summer. And you can look at plant life and you can look at your garden. You can see the blooms that were there have now faded. And the growth that's going on in those big oak trees that I planted in my front yard 16 years ago now is not visible on the outside. It's an internal growth. It's an invisible growth to me, though it's it's real. It's taking place under the soil. It is a rooted in a groundedness that is taking place. The, the, the growth that is going on in the cold north winds of winter is pressing down into the soil, tapping into water that's farther below so that the tree is going to be able to uphold the external growth that's going to come next spring. So if you're in a winter in your life in God, 
Know that sometimes there are seasons where you might not see fruit on the branches. You might be struggling in fruit bearing. You might not be seeing love, joy, peace, and a package of figs. That's the way I teach my purple book group to remember the nine fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Everybody say package, P-K-G. And then figs is the tree that speaks of God's people in the Bible of Israel, the fig tree. The last three, F-G-S, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So the, the fruit of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, and a package of figs. Sometimes you might not feel like you're operating in a whole lot of patience. Whatever you do, don't pray for it. Because tribulation works patience. Maybe you don't think there's some, a lot of fruit growing on the end of the tree. And sometimes it's because there are seasons where God is driving the root system down, where you're becoming rooted and built up into him, established in the faith and abounding in thanksgiving. And it's in those seasons sometimes when you don't see outward growth or fruit that you should be the most verbal with your thanksgiving. Come on, go ahead and give him some praise this morning. I think of the story... Uh, the gospel of Luke, there are 10 lepers who've experienced the sting of rejection because leprosy in the Bible was a disease that required the victim to be sequestered. It required a quarantine. And that quarantine meant that the leprous victim lived apart from the rest of society, never experiencing the amazing hugs that we got from all of our family. And we're a hugging people. And let me just tell you, I'm a hugging pastor. And we always say, shake hands and hug somebody's neck and be friendly because I just believe the body of Christ. Uh, and let me just tell you, if we were real literalists about the Bible, it says, greet the brothers with a kiss. Now, we don't press that here because that doesn't fly in this culture. But I'll shake your hand and slap you on the back and give you a good old Christian brotherly hug. And we shared all those hugs, and I love that. I love the expression of warmth and the acceptance. And we crave that as human beings. And to think about having a physical condition, a, a medical malady that would be so bad that would prevent me from experiencing ever again for the rest of my life the possibility of any human touch at all, unless it was coming from someone who had the same disease that I did, I cannot imagine. I, I struggle to think about the loneliness and the, the lack of, the fear of rejection from people. The way that these men have had to obey the law that God prescribed and set down himself for the protection of the rest of the people and the quarantine, the separation, and that when they did come into public, they had to cover their faces and they had to scream through that cloth, unclean, unclean. And nothing would move a crowd, nothing would adjust a line at the dollar store any more quickly than someone coming through wrapped in burlap and screaming unclean. And something happened one day, there were 10 of these guys traveling together because you know it's not uncommon for people who have a similar malady to bond with people that are in the same struggle. We do that. Ten of them are traveling together and they encounter Jesus one day and Jesus decides he's going to show them how great God is, who he is. And he gives them some specific instructions and he tells them to go show themselves to the priest. Why did he do that? Because the law specifically prescribed and said that it was the priest who had the ability to declare, 
if a home is filled with mildew, if it's going to get cleaned up and it can be cleaned and so that someone can live in it, it's, it's a habitable place, a residence, then the priest comes in and says, yes, this is clean. After a whole protocol that they go through of seven days of observance and washing down with various items that the Old Testament prescribed, when it came to a, someone who had a spot in the skin, it could possibly be leprosy, it was the priest who was sort of the doctor in the camp who gave the last word and said, no, he must be quarantined or no, he's free to join the rest of the congregation and be back into a, some degree of normalcy of life enjoying the, the fellowship of a handshake, the embrace of a brother or a sister, no longer having to be separate and screaming unclean. These 10 men had experienced the pain of that kind of rejection and they met Jesus that day and Jesus said, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now they're still standing there with the, the condition of their skin already evident, a nerve debilitating disease that literally before it's over with, every one of the fingers and the toes are lost because of, the, of the, the nerve damage that's done in leprosy, many times a leper will leave his hand in the fire and doesn't even know that it's burning because he no longer feels the pain. And so eventually all of the fingers are lost and they're just dealing with stumps. Looking at his skin, 10 of them are observing and not seeing change. But something was different about the word that came from this man Jesus that day. It had gospel authority in it. And he spoke and he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. I believe that not in that moment did they see an initial change, but out of their obedience and an act of faith, they took the first step and headed to where the priest was residing to obey the gospel promise that Jesus had spoken. And on their way, I believe something began to happen in their skin because faith was released as they obeyed the word that had contained the promise of God. They got to the priest the priest looked at them, knowing that these guys had been victims of leprosy that does not get cured, and pronounced in joy, look what the Lord has done. And they were free to go and rejoin society. And it, the story doesn't stop there because Jesus says, when one of them finds his way back to make an attempt to relocate Jesus and just to very simply say, thank you. Jesus says, wait a minute, weren't there 10 of them? And yet only one has come back to offer thanks? I think this is probably the state of our hearts in America. If we're really honest, this is probably the state of us as spirit-filled believers when it comes to really about one-tenth of the time do we back up and look at the manifold, indescribable, abounding blessings that are poured out on upon us because so many times it's easy for us to kick back into a gear and go, man, I have worked so hard this year and look at the effort of my work and what my toil and what my hands and my creativity and my ingenuity have done and we don't stop long enough to say, wait a minute, every day that I woke up with breath in my lungs, God gave that. Every swing of the hammer of building a home, God strengthened that. Every idea that I put into play, every deal that I 
engaged in, every quota that I met, every student that I taught, every meal that I cooked, every diaper that I changed, all along the way, everything that I have done, it is all because God has gifted me and blessed me out of his gracious goodness. And I need to stop and say, thank you. Let's do a word study. Everybody say Thanksgiving. This is the Greek word right here. If you can look at that, that is the Greek word eucharistia. Better pronounced eucharistia. It's like a long E, eucharistia. And if you hear that, you hear the name of, as a Roman Catholic or a, an Episcopalian, an Anglican, especially this is the name that you have grown up referring to the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, the Eucharist. It is a celebration of thanksgiving of what he did in sacrificing himself for us. Do this in remembrance of the Lord's death until he comes. Eucharistia. We are giving thanks. It is, it is translated thanksgiving or giving of thanks. But I want to dig a little bit deeper because when you see Eucharistia, and I want you to go to the very heart of the very middle of Eucharistia, and I want you to see this word right here. It is the word charis. Eucharistia. You can hear it in there now. Charis. Charis is the Greek word for grace. In the middle of Thanksgiving, in the very heart of Thanksgiving, there is a recognition of something that comes only by grace. It is something that has been given to us that by definition, if I were to ask you around here, because the majority of the population has had a blessed heritage in the, the wonderful Baptist denomination, and it is a great family to be a part of and, and to, to come from. And if I ask you right now, probably the vast majority of you would define grace as unmerited favor. And, and that is such a great understanding of what the grace of God is because you didn't work for it. You might try, but you can't work hard enough because you can't earn it. You don't deserve it. I read a quote by Martin Luther this week that said, it's not an amazing thing that God would save anyone, everyone. He said it's an absolutely amazing thing that God would even save anyone because if we are true to this, every one of us are deserving of the penalty of hell. If I got what I deserve this morning, I would not be standing in front of you. I would be in hell, but I'm thankful that God didn't give me what I deserve. That's called mercy. And mercy and grace are twins. They're power twins in the Bible. And I want you to see how closely grace and thanksgiving are related. But before we do, I want to give you the second definition of grace because so many times we only hear this surface one. And unmerited favor is so essential. It's so critical because it's like the idea of a blanket covering my sin so that when God looks into my life, he sees the blanket of grace. And that's really the blood of Jesus is what that blanket of grace is. No longer does he look and see judgment, but he looks and sees grace. He sees favor poured out upon me. He sees his benevolence, the disposal, the, the pouring out of, the disbursement of his goodness and his beneficence and his benevolence being poured into my life that I didn't earn it. I, it's not based on my merit. But that's only half of the definition. So many times the real full understanding of the word, if you look at any word in the dictionary, doesn't just come from the most commonly used one, but sometimes it comes from one maybe that we've sort of as a people gotten a little disconnected from because the second part of grace is not just unmerited favor, but it means operational power. 
So grace not only covers me on the outside like a blanket, but grace penetrates my heart and gets up on the inside of me and changes me from the inside out. And now by grace, the apostle Paul says, I am what I am. Only by grace. But for the grace of God, there go I, as we have heard said. And so we talk about the blanket of unmerited, fa unmerited favor and the injection of operational power. But I want you to see the connection between grace and thanksgiving. And these exist in every language. If I were to ask you to, to say thank you for me in Italian, does anybody in here know how you would say thank you in Italian? Grazie. Do you see grace in that? Gratis. Something that is free gratis is a grace gift. One of the banner cries of the Reformation was sola gratia, by grace alone. Gratitude, gratis. Gratitude is the idea of thanksgiving that begins with grace. Greek word eucharistia, it is thanksgiving, but it's thanksgiving that has at the very heart of it the recognition of something that was given to me that I don't deserve. It is gracious gift of God, hallelujah. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. I'm not who I used to be. I'm not yet what I'm going to be. But I'm thankful that grace has brought me thus far. And grace will lead me on home. So grace is transforming me. If I were to ask you to, to tell me how to say thank you in Spanish, how would you say it? Gracias. Do you see grace in that? And I love it. Let's go over to French. Do you know how to say thank you in French? Merci. Which is tied to grace's twin sister. Mercy. Merci beaucoup. <laughs> Just get beaucoups, beaucoups and beaucoups of it. <laughs> so you see the connection between thanksgiving that is birthed from and the recognition of a core or a heart of grace. And ten lepers get changed, but one recognizes the heart of grace and comes back to say thank you. And he works to relocate the benevolent giver. That's when sometimes it is a sacrifice to sit down and handwrite the note and thank the individual that really went the extra mile and poured out their time or their talent or their skill or their life or their finance in any way that someone has helped you. And you know, even if you don't go so far to write the handwritten note or at least do it in an email or at least a text or somebody face-to-face -face and give them a hug and say, thank you from the bottom of my heart for what you did. Without that, I couldn't have, and you fill in the blank. This morning, as believers, we couldn't be in this place knowing that we are accepted by God with the everlasting arms holding us up underneath. Accept it were for the grace of God and what Jesus did for us. Does anybody in the room, can you say, thank you, Jesus? So this morning, we begin with this first principle, and I've got five of them I want to give you real quickly. Number one, that is the idea of the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Everybody say the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Psalm chapter 50 and verse 14 says it this way. It says that he who offers, and there it is, Psalm 50, whoosh on the screen. There you go. Thank you. Here we go. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High. Everybody say a th sacrifice of thanksgiving. 
Let's bump down to the end of Psalm 50 and verse 23 says it this way. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. To one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. What is so interesting about this passage of scripture in Psalm 50 is this follows David's administration with, with a chief musician, with with Ethan and Jeduthun and Asaph and some great court musicians that have basically developed a whole new orchestra and different musical instruments under David's leadership. He brings the ark of God back from the Philistines and it's been resting in the house of Obed-Edom and you read about this in 2 Samuel and the book of Chronicles and he brings it back to Jerusalem instead of replacing it where it was in the tabernacle with all of the other furniture, he just basically sets a great big open tent out here on the top of Mount Zion, the high mountain in Israel, and he basically says, come on, all of you people, women and little children are even invited. You don't have to be born of the Levitical priesthood to come see the ark of God's presence and to come worship before him. And in the middle of all of this, when they're doing an old covenant sacrificial system of bulls and goats and doves and all of these things, God basically says, if you think that this is about all this bloodletting that you're doing, you've totally missed it. Because I I wouldn't tell you if I was hungry, God said. Matter of fact, I encourage you to go home and read Psalm 50 because it's got some humor to it. He basically says, I'm tired of all this big sacrificing you're doing because you're not doing it with your heart. I don't care how big the bull is, how many doves you throw on the altar. I'm really, matter of fact, he says it this way. I will take no more bull from your house. I love the way the King James says it because you can read a little double entendre into that. Look at your neighbor and say, God's not taking any more of our bull. 1,500 years before the natural sacrificial system ended, God showed David that he was more interested in sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise that come from the heart more than just slaying an animal and shedding some blood. And so he says, the one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice is the one who glorifies me. And so you think this is not just an old covenant concept that is there briefly for a moment. This literally is the glimpse into the new covenant because the Bible tells us in Amos chapter 8 verses 9 and 11 or I'm sorry, nine, chapter 9, verses 11 and 12, and then again in Acts 15, 16, and 17, chapter 15, verses 16 and 17, it talks about God raising up the tabernacle of David in the last day and bringing all of the Gentiles in and the outpouring of his presence. God is literally showing the people of Israel 1,500 years that this whole sacrificial system of bulls and goats and turtle doves and all this stuff is going to end. It's going to be about a sacrifice of praise from your heart and a sacrifice of thanksgiving based on the once and for all sacrifice of Jesus who becomes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's not just a moment in the Old Covenant, but it actually is the revelation of what the whole New Covenant is going to be about. So jump over with me to Hebrews, the book of better things, and look with me to Hebrews 15. Therefore, by him, everybody say, by Jesus That's why it's a capital H in your Bible. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. For to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, the Bible says, God is well pleased. The sacrifice of praise, 
the sacrifice of thanksgiving. He says, the sacrifice of praise is the fruit of my lips giving thanks to his name. So God's not interested in bulls and goats and blood that's shed. He's interested in a heart of thanksgiving that it has at its core a recognition of grace. Principle number two. This is why thank you is so important. Thank you, the words themselves, grants me access into his presence. Thank you grants access into his presence. Look with me to Psalm 100, verse 4. This is from the message. It says, enter with the password. Thank you. Make yourselves at home, talking praise. Thank him. Worship him. This begins in Psalm 100, one of my favorite psalms. It says, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving in your hearts and into his courts with praise. And know that he is the Lord your God and you are the sheep of his pasture. And it goes on to give us this covenantal pattern. The covenantal pattern is thanksgiving, praise, and worship. Everybody say that with me. Thanksgiving, praise, and and worship. And there are stages that we go through. You want to feel the comforting presence, the tangible presence, the manifest presence of God. The Bible simply says, out of a heart of gratitude, just begin to utter the words to him and mean it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for breath in my lungs. Thank you for an amazing wife. Thank you for children that actually love me. Thank you for a church that has such a servant heart. Thank you, Lord, for this community. When everybody wants to speak curses against it, thank you, Lord, that you have a design and a destiny and a heart for West Memphis. And thank you, Lord, that things are not always going to remain the way they are, but things are going to change because the church is rising up and being the body of Christ and being the hands and the feet of Jesus. And thank you that we've got a revelation of that and to begin to do that. Lord, thank you that you give us strength and power to carry out that very kind of design and thank you that we don't do it in our own strength and thank you for the love of God that motivates us thank you for my brothers and my sisters at the different congregations the different churches who each are a piece of a, a, a string woven into the tapestry of this beautiful thing called the body of Christ and there's a Baptist thread and a Methodist thread and a Pentecostal thread and, and a charismatic thread and thank God that not one of us are the whole tapestry but we're just a thread and we make up the whole beautiful thing called the body of Christ. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for strength. Thank you that I'm 51 years old and I, I, I still think like I'm a 19-year-old, but I'm thank you, Lord, that you're helping me in this season of my life. Come on, somebody. Do you have any reason to give God some thanks? Rise and soar into the sunlight rays using both your wings of prayer and praise. Mount like eagles higher in the sky and you'll find things look so different when you fly. When you pray and cannot get your answer through... When you get discouraged, know not what to do. Cease to beg and plead. Hallelujah's raise. Your petition shall ascend on wings of praise. So mount like eagles higher in the sky. And you'll find things look so different when you fly. You can fly in thanksgiving and enter praise and into worship, into his presence. Or you can stay chicken little in the barnyard going, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. And you can see judgment and you can see the storm cloud and 
You can be yard bound like a stinking yard bird, but God's not called you to be chickens. He's called you to be eagles. The eagle rejoices at the sight of a storm. He locks in his wings and the very thing that terrifies those in the barnyard gives the eagle something that mounts him or her to the heavens. Come on. Rise up, rise up, rise up, rise up. You can't stay in a pity party when you get thankful. It it ushers you in. It's the password in the presence of God. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you this morning? If, 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 you, if you've got a chicken little attitude, just change your thinking. Just look up a little bit instead of pecking around down in the dirt trying to find something to eat and look up. I mean, even a hog can recognize the tree the acorns fall from once in a while. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> Principle number two. I just kind of get the flow once in a while. And I go home and Dawn goes, what did, was, what did that mean? <laughs> I know where I'm headed. Number three, refusing to be thankful can leave you in a mess. Refusing to be thankful can leave you in a mess. And if you've ever read Romans chapter 1, it is the downward spiral into the cesspool of utter depravity. Where God gives up people to their basest desires. And it all starts by them not acknowledging God and refusing to give thanks. Look with me to the verse, Romans chapter 1. And it goes from about 18 to about probably 28, 29, 30, the end of the chapter. But look at 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. Or what? Or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. This is why it's important to be thankful. To grazie, to gracias, Señor. Thank you, Lord. To say merci. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy, for your goodness. Thank you that at the heart of every bit of this that I have received, it's all about grace. When I don't live out of thanksgiving, it puts me in a mess. If I lose an attitude of gratitude, it can disable me. It causes me to pick at every little thing that's wrong. If I have an attitude of gratitude about the relationship that I'm in, and come on, let's just get real. In fact, if I was just really honest, I would need to call my wife up to the front and let her tell this part because she's the one who has to have a, a a gracious spirit just to, to deal with me, okay? I'm serious. I'm not, not trying to be self-deprecating in a kind of a way to, you know, manipulate. I'm just saying, look, let's, we all, when you live with somebody 27 years, you get to where you know, and you know what? We grow through some things, and you know what the fact is? There are just some things that just don't change. Don't say amen, honey. <laughs> let's, let's be real. And you love people in spite of. You know, it... It's such an amazing testimony when you see a couple of sweet little white-haired people walking in the park hand-in-hand together, and they've been together for over 50, 60 years. And he still opens the door for her, and she still smiles at him and laughs at his corny jokes. (laughs) And it comes out of a love. It's a decision. It's somewhere along the way 
when you don't feel like it, but you just to say, you know what, I know that this is a God thing and I'm crazy about this woman and the woman looks at me and she's crazy. She's crazy about you guys. And you just decide, I'm just going to love in spite of it. You know what, when you break through at that point in your marriage, you've broken through into the best part of your life. Come on, somebody. Because if you're living and you're staying with someone as long as they meet your list of expectations, that thing is doomed. Because we're human and every one of us at some point in time is going to disappoint the other one in some way. Did you get my coffee, honey? No, I forgot. <laughs> Two weeks ago. Dawn, you go in the grocery store, be sure, baby, and pick it. And I described the bag, told her the brand, this is what I want. She gets, buys everything else Walmart has, but doesn't get the coffee. I'm out, okay? Abby, honey, here's a 20. Go eat with your friends tonight. Please stop by the grocery store and get Dad some coffee. Baby, did you get my coffee? Oh, Dad, I'm sorry, I forgot. I didn't have a lot of patience growing out on fruit on my tree that day. Didn't say anything. Oh, <laughs> Father, forgive. <laughs> forgive me for the fib I just told in the name of Jesus. And she loves me anyway. <laughs> Baby, you did that just like I told you to right before the service. <laughs> uh, wow, what an amazing opportunity to illustrate what I just said. How many of you know many times when relationships end, it's not because of a great big mess up? It's because of an accumulation of a whole bunch of little things. Song of Solomon says it's the little foxes that spoil the vines. And so this morning, I just want to say to you, when we refuse to be thankful for each other in spite of our humanness, in spite of our faults, in spite of our sins, nobody in the room is without any, that's when we stop being thankful and we head down into the downward spiral. Because someone who does not have an attitude of gratitude starts picking at everything. And things that a person who has an attitude of gratitude would automatically just not even think anything about and look over. When you have an attitude of gratitude, you're thankful for the little things and it enables the grace of God to give you strength to overcome the largest problems. But when you lose an attitude of gratitude, instead of picking up on the little things and giving God thanks and praise, you pick at the little problems and you're not able even to see the greatest of blessings. It's like it has a converse effect on you. The downward spiral into utter depravity begins with not giving thanks. Principle number four. You get anything out of this today? Thanksgiving always is the will of God. There's never a day when it's not the will of the Lord to say thank you. There's never a time, and as a matter of fact, it's not how you woke up this morning that determines whether you should say thanks. It's not the side of the bed 
It's not your circumstances that determine whether or not you bless the Lord. The Bible says, I will bless the Lord every now and then. His praise will sometimes be in my mouth. Is that what it says? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Let's get the verse of scripture from 1 Thessalonians. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. King James says it this way, in everything give thanks. In everything give thanks. Now, I am a sovereignty man. I believe in the majestic doctrine of the sovereignty of God that he literally works all things after the counsel of his own will. But I refuse to move over into an extremity where I embrace that and I let go of the responsibility of man. Because there are two doctrines in the Bible that seem to be contradictory, but both are true at the same time. God is sovereign. Man is responsible. I still have a choice, and my choice has a consequence. People who move into a hyper-fatalism, a hyper-Calvinistic view, basically just say, well, it doesn't matter. God's going to work it all out. And you know what? God does work together all things for the good of them who love him and who are called according to his purpose. But that doesn't excuse me in my current choice because the choices that I make still have consequences. Now, as a believer, you make a bad choice, and if you repent and your heart's right, certainly God has the ability to work all of that out, but I guarantee you, you're going to go through some stuff getting through your bad choices. God will work it out in the end. The hyper-fatalistic person will look at that verse, and they will read into that that I'm supposed to thank God for everything. Let me tell you why that won't work. If I'm supposed to thank God for everything, then, then, then there's no reason for me to pray to try to move a mountain of hindrance out of my way because God aims by his will for the mountain to be there. Don't, so don't pray. Okay? I, I hear a bad report from the doctor and I'm going to battle a disease that if I don't change my lifestyle and I don't start operating in some faith and believe and tap into the ability of God's presence to touch and change and heal me, then it could take me pretty quickly. Do I just sit down and just receive that as, well, this is the will of God? Well, you know what? If that's the will of God, why don't you just do it quicker? Just get out of 38. That's stupid. No, we rise up against circumstances that we know the word of God is clear. And it doesn't say, it, it says in everything give thanks, not for everything. Now, I'm not just trying to slice this thing so thin that you wonder what I'm, you know. I want to make sure you hear my heart. In the battle, God intends for you to put on some armor and for you to win. If it's just the battle that you're just going to give up and just let the enemy win and take over, then don't even go get dressed. Don't put on a helmet of salvation and a sword of the Spirit and a shield of faith and a breastplate of righteousness and some feet and some shoes that are called the gospel of peace. Don't even do that. If you're just going to sit down and say everything that comes along is the perfect will of God, bah, that's not true. He tells us that if we'll exercise our faith, he'll blow the mountain into the midst of the sea, that he will rout the enemy around us. Rise up, O oh God, and let your enemies be scattered. We are in a battle. We are in a fight. And even in the middle of the battle, I can give thanks for God, to God, in those circumstances. 
but I don't sit back and thank him for all these circumstances that happen. Some of them he intends for me to rise up in faith and come over them, which is what's going to call you an overcomer when you come over something. Come on, I'm preaching real good this morning right here. Put your hands together and give the Lord some praise. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Last principle, number five, I'm finished. It's a partner in powerful prayer. Let's just go right to the verse. Enough said there. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Thank you. Thank you is the password that gives me access into his presence. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Thanksgiving is what I mix my request My earnest prayer, which is what supplication means. It's a place of intercession where I'm desperate and I'm crying out to God. I'm supplicating. I'm not just making a simple request, but I'm supplicating for somebody. I'm interceding. I'm crying out to God. And I mix that whole thing with some thanksgiving. And the Bible says, when I do, let my requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which surpasses your natural ability to understand, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. One more time, come on, put your hands together and give the Lord praise this morning. Prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. If we'll just remember this very simple Just remember the book of Acts, A-C-T-S. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. You've always got thanksgiving in the mix. Always thanking God for his grace that he's poured out upon us. Let me just say to you as I close this service this morning how thankful I am for the victory that Jesus Christ has brought to us. There is a struggle, there is a fight, there is a battle, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank God for you. I thank God for my family, for my friends that are sitting here, for the active work of the Holy Spirit that I see in so many of your lives. Prayers that you're lifting up and praying and you're in the struggle with. You learn to give God thanks in the struggle, not for the struggle, but in the struggle. And God will strengthen you so that you can put a struggle in your past. A habit, an addictive pattern of behavior, a sin. God loves you right the way you are and where you are, but he loves you too much to leave you there. That, I tell you to you over and over and over. He loves you right the way you are. That's the blanket of unmerited favor, grace. But he loves you too much to leave you there. That's the injection of operational power, grace, that gets on the inside of you and starts to transform you and change your mind and change your life and change your choices. Come on. I don't know what you think about this TV evangelist. really don't care. Uh... Your opinion is not an issue today. I heard the Lord say this through him one day. T.D. Jakes, black pastor on TV. He said this, and it changed my life. He said, the amazing thing is, is that all the while that God has called me to preach the gospel of transformation, he is still in the process 
of transforming the messenger himself. So I can't stand up here and say, look, I'm the finished product. You know, the only one that I can point to, Jesus. Jesus, he is the author and the finisher of your faith. He started this thing, he completed it, he finished it, he sat down with a finished work to rest by the right hand of God the Father. The majesty on high, the book of Hebrews says. Hebrews 7.25 says that he lives right now to make intercession for you. He is praying for you. It was Robert Murray Machane, who's the great Scottish preacher, who said this. He said, how powerfully I could live if I knew that Christ were in the other room on his knees praying for me. And then he stopped a moment and he said, Christ is praying for me. And prayer is not limited by the other room because he's on the other side of the veil that's as close to you as your breath is. Jesus is in this room with us this morning and he is interceding on your behalf for your victory, for your win, for your acceptance. There are some lepers in the room this morning and God is asking you, do you want to see this thing change? Go and show yourself to the priest. And you know what? That's not a natural man. That's you bowing your heart to Jesus as the high priest of your life. Acknowledging your sin and saying, Jesus, come into my heart and change me. Spirit of the Lord's already drawing some hearts right now. If you would, please, every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence. Thank you. Thank you for the word today. Thank you that I I believe that you've spoken so preciously and specifically to so many hearts in this room. There is no mountain too high. There's no valley so wide. No circumstance so great. You're the God of all flesh and nothing is too difficult for you. Thank you for the place that a, a man or a woman right now in this room is sitting You've sensed the Spirit of God moving and drawing on you, and you've never, ever personally crossed that line of faith and said, Jesus, come into my heart, save me. And he's moving right now to enable you to do that. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Let me just say, all you do simply is to turn from your past. The word repent means just leave all of your trying to earn it and work it out behind Every good work, thinking that you're going to make them outweigh the bad. None of us has that possibility whatsoever. Grace, remember, is unmerited favor. You don't earn it. I don't deserve it. It's in that moment when you turn to God. You turn away from the past and you turn to God and you simply say these three little words, Jesus, save me. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Spirit of God's doing the work in your heart. You open your mouth and speak that word, that work that the Spirit is doing and just say those words, Jesus, save me. Be Lord of my life. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Very simply, I just want to ask you right now, anybody want to be prayed for? Raising your hand doesn't do it. Spirit of God does it. Yes, there's a hand there. Anybody?